You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast for the people of Emmaus Road Church, and this is our Monday episode we call Hear and Obey. We are in Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. My name is Ryan Chase, and I am joined today by Matt Groon, Mark Christensen. I'm going to read this text and then um, look forward to hearing your thoughts. A highlight of the week for me, certainly to sit down and reflect on passage of scripture that was just preached. We, we believe God speaks through his word, that his word is living and active. Um, we want his word to dwell richly in us. So this is Exodus 19, 1 through 6. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Lord, thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us. We pray for the people of Emmaus Road Church as uh, they spend time this week in Exodus 19. God, that you would continue to speak to our hearts by your spirit. Um, cause this word to be effective and fruitful in our lives as you reveal to us how you relate to your people covenantally mm. and what our identity is in Christ and what your purpose is in the world. So thank you, Lord, for this time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, observations from you guys. Love to hear. Uh, I, I preached this text yesterday, so I've spent a lot of time in this passage making observations, mm. writing those things down, <laughs> trying to craft that into a, a sermon, but always love to hear what stands out to other people as well. Yeah, I think one of the, the first things that we pick up on that you know, could go unnoticed as you're reading things like this, but I think you did well to draw our attention to um, of just the the scene change that's really taking place mm. here. Like this is a category shift. Um, just like there have been these big sections as we've been going through Exodus, like you could call it the prologue or the setting in that first couple chapters to Moses being introduced and then him and Midian and then the execution, the promises of God to execute the the 10 plagues and then Moses going and doing those 10 plagues and actual Exodus. And then we have spent a couple weeks now in this kind of like wilderness after the Red Sea, after yeah. the song of Moses, we've had this kind of wilderness excursion as they make their way out and they're grumbling and complaining and kind of figuring out this new thing after Egypt. Um, but here just the text makes clear that this is a turning point they're, They've settled in now and they've come to the place that God promised they, Moses they would in Exodus chapter 3 where he said, and you will, this will be the sign that here you will worship me mm -hmm. uh, with the nation. On this which, mountain. Which is so crazy because, I mean, can you imagine Moses back in that chapter hearing that from God and just all the things that would have oh, yeah. to happen for that to become, to, yeah. for that promise to be made. Um, and then the rest of the chapter or the, the rest of the book until now has been that unfolding, the yeah. promise of God. All the events that did transpire exactly and now we're and now we're here and now the the nation is at the mountain of god um where they will stay for yeah. a year mm -hmm. um 
yeah, and I think you did well that not only the time of, you know, there's about three months after the exodus, they've encamped. There's a settling in you can almost feel taking place. Mm -hmm. And it's at the mountain of God, which, you know, as you did, as you said so well, conveys so much imagery to the garden. Mm -hmm. So something, what what it does is it, 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 those first couple verses really helps the reader, if you're attentive and studying it, really realize something big's about to go down. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Heightens anticipation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all jokes aside, you know, this is one of those big mountaintop moments in scripture yeah. <laughs> that everything is pointing back to. Yeah. Um, and so you brought out too just the um, prominence of obviously Matt just brought out in the garden here uh, in the New Testament. You get to Jesus with the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. And even the Great Commission. The Great Commission happens on a mountain. On a mountain. That's right. So. Um, well, and the death of Jesus happened on a yeah. hill called Calvary, yeah. Like yeah. up on a yeah. a raised area. Yeah. But just the significance of this passage alone mm-hmm. for the rest of the Old Testament, and the rest of Scripture is important. Yeah, too. Mm. yeah, it is. Uh, I use, try to use a couple of illustrations just to think of what are other geographic locations we think of in our own nation's history that just have that kind of monumental you know, big things happened there. And you could go on and on with battlefields and mm-hmm. buildings and, and whatever. But even those things just don't compare to Sinai. I mean, when you think of Mount Sinai and all that happens here, it is remarkable. Fifth, the next 59 chapters, the rest of Exodus, all of Leviticus, 10 chapters deep into numbers. Mm -hmm. This is where the tabernacle is going to be built and God's glory is going to descend on it. This is where the law is given from the mountain. This is, this is where all of these things happen. So it's actually from Genesis through second Kings, Sinai is like one sixth of that. Mm. That's a pretty big, (laughs) all the other things happening between Genesis and second Kings. that's a big chunk of time that happens here at Sinai. So again, that, that does when we're just observing, I think it's helpful to point out, this is part of reading and studying scripture. We're making Mm -hmm. observations, just asking kind of those newspaper reporter questions, who, what, where, Mm -hmm. when, why, how, where, and when oftentimes we skim over that stuff. Like it's just extra fluff, but you know, the, the narrator is putting that in for a reason. And, and in this case, I think it's heightening the expectation of, what's about to happen here. And the significance of what happens here is that covenant relationship. Yes. um, Established, defined uh, for the people. And so um, that's something that, yeah, we hold on to. And you see that God is the one who's going to make sure that this covenant relationship functions, uh, works. Yes. (laughs) Can you hear that? Yeah. Uh, It's hot up here. Blasting off. Yeah. AC just turned on. Nothing like some commercial real estate air conditioning to just. (laughs) To your point though, Ryan, like locations are really important Um, because I mean, think of this text, uh, you know, you you rattled off Plymouth Rock and and Philadelphia and you, like you said, you could go on and on and on. Well, those locations are critical because it's, it it instills a sense of memorialism in a sense. Like, We don't just go there because it's whatever, but there's an event attached to that location. And we're connected to that event somehow. And we're remembering it. And and the lessons learned on those days are imparted to us. And so, like you were just describing, imagine if the book of Deuteronomy um, would lose a lot of its weight if we didn't know when and where it was taking place. Rather, the the weight of Deuteronomy, the the beauty of Moses' last sermon to the people of Israel takes place on the east side of the Jordan River. They're about to enter the promised land. So you have 
their location and kind of the setting coupled with the message really carries that that theological um, freight through to us as we read them. So the location here of Sinai really is, um, yeah, the fact that God has brought him, brought the nation of Israel to himself. He's mm-hmm. brought them out of Egypt and bringing them to himself. And he's brought them to Sinai for a purpose. Yeah. Um, is Yeah, it really helps set the table for all that he's about to yeah. unpack. And then we have in this passage, it's brief, but the specific message God communicates to Israel through Moses when Moses first ascends the mountain. I don't think I mentioned this yesterday, but I think Moses ascends the mountain and descends a total of seven times here coming up. So this is the first of seven ascents. Uh, I think three of them happen right here in chapter 19. And Mm so we kind of, excuse me, shorten this up because this message is so significant, mm. but really it's part of a, a a broader passage, all of chapter 19, where Moses brings this message back. The people respond. Moses goes back up the mountain to report to God the people's response to this proposed covenant. The covenant is going to be established. I think it's like chapter 24 that is actually ratified um, and more is going to be communicated from God, the, the Decalogue, the, the Ten Commandments, yeah. and that's central to the Mosaic covenant. But um, right here we have this incredible very brief condensed mm-hmm. message from God. And, and you know, the way I tried to articulate it, it it's like God's proposing that this is the covenant I will yeah. establish with you. If, if you will listen to my voice and, yeah. and keep my covenant. Um, and, and these words are just incredible in their yeah. scope and, and significance. It's, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful summary mm-hmm. of the joy of being, God's people yeah. um, is that we didn't choose ourselves yeah. to be God's people. He's the one who acted. He brought them out of Egypt and out of, and he bore them on like just that, that beautiful language, this imagery of what I did. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians mm-hmm. and then how I took you and bore you on Eagle's wings and brought you to myself. So God has acted in history and we have seen, like John says, we have seen his glory. We've seen this take place. And now he's reiterating the, some covenant promises to them mm-hmm. specifically. They are they are recipients that des- they don't deserve any of it. And all of this, of course, as, as you drew out uh, so well, is 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 pretty almost one to one. You could draw a line from what's being said here to each of us here in the church age and how we yeah. experienced our salvation and how we didn't choose it. We saw how God pulled us out of the miry clay and put our feet on solid ground. And I did not deserve this. And he continues to bear me Mm -hmm. on Eagle's wings and not just in history, but in Christ, he's doing this all the time. And now therefore there's the, those covenantal promises, which must be received Mm -hmm. by faith and acted on by faith. And these are the people here that God is speaking to that had forgotten the Lord. Yeah. Um, Generations had gone by and they didn't know the Lord and so for God to say, you're connected to Jacob, um, your father, um, and you are my people. And so uh, it's a sweet reminder for us that um, however far in sin mm-hmm. someone might be, um, you know, kind of connecting back to Jim's sermon last week. Yeah. Remember, like, God has people out there yet still. Yeah. And he's saying, these promises are for you. Yeah. Yeah, he takes the initiative to rescue, to to bring to himself. This will come up again as we preach. It's um, 
very clear at the beginning of chapter 20 when we get into the Ten Commandments again, before God gives the law, mm. he starts with a statement of who he is and what he has done for them in in rescuing them for himself. And um, yeah, I just briefly mentioned this yesterday, but um, th- that's the basic structure of a covenant between a superior king and kind of vassal people. Um, the king first rehearses, this is what I have done for you. Here are all the benefits I have provided to you, which is why I have the right to be your king. That's essentially what God is saying. Th- right. This is this is what I have done for your benefit, for your good already. Which obliterates any boasting on the, vas- right. on the vassal's part, on our part, on yeah. Israel's part. There's no, we are not able to say to God, you owe us. Right. Like, right. That's what, that's what you said so well of like, this is not, this type of salvation is not merited in any way. This relationship is not a, oh, you worked for me. Now here are your wages due. Yeah. It's purely of grace so that no one can boast. And therefore all glory goes to the one who actually is the one who yeah. acted, yeah. which is God himself. Yeah. And, and, and to see how God brings us into the covenant relationship. Covenant is just central to how God relates to his people. Mm-hmm. So he establishes a relationship with us. And I, I think that just cuts against, um, in modern evangelical America, a lot of thinking of, um, like I, I prayed a prayer once I asked Jesus into my heart. Um, I made profession of faith. I, I was baptized when I was an infant. Um, you know, something happened like that. So I'm, I'm good right. while I do whatever I want with my life. While I don't trust God, I don't walk in his ways. Uh, I don't mm. love him, but I did this thing once. So I'm, I'm okay. It just fails to recognize like when God saves, he brings people into a relationship with mm-hmm. himself, a covenantal relationship. And probably the, the, the most tangible parallel we have just in, under, in terms of understanding that kind of relationship is a, a marriage. A marriage is a covenant. That's right. It's a, a formal bond between two people who are promising, making oaths, vows before God and witnesses. I'm going to uh, be exclusively faithful to you. Um, and those, in those marriages, that covenant can be maintained or not maintained Yeah, and they must be maintained through certain ways. It's not like, Hey, we did the ceremony. We're good to go. Now go live however you will. Right. No. Now that because of what happened there, what those objective promises that took place in the vows and the covenant that was sealed there. Yeah. Now we actually do live certain ways. I think that was probably the most powerful thing about, uh, yeah, the way that you introduced that text and, and brought us through walking us through this word is the reality of, of the, the tangibleness of our covenant relationship mm. with God. Mm-hmm. This isn't a, we're not dualists. We're not, um, you know, people who think that only the spiritual world is where all this, you know, was the stuff that really matters and your job, your stay at home mom, your whatever mm-hmm. you, that, that fight you're having with that coworker, that HR thing that's happening, whatever that is, those things don't, that's not in the spiritual world. Yeah. That's all just earthly, fleshly. Right. Yeah. We just, that'll all pass away. No, this this text is taking place in real, you know, tangible and on, on earth in our yeah. world. And the same promises made to the church are being made in this world because the the church is Christ's body, mm-hmm. which is a which actually was incarnate, came to this world. Actually, he did actually was born, lived died, suffered, and rose in an actual physical body, which yeah. sealed for us the realities of the kingdom of God now being expressed through the church, through the gospel preaching here on earth. Yeah. So that therefore, what we actually do 
in this world matters, not just because of the covenant relationship with God, because it, but with, with, it actually is, in a, we're a, a fleshy, flesh-like people where mm. God is working in us and all that we do actually matters yeah. in our relationship with Christ. And none of it's meritorious. Yeah. We don't earn our love from God. But the beautiful thing is that he has set his love on us. Yeah. And that should produce things in us, mm-hmm. which is the, the and, and he promises to do things for us, to, yeah. to relate to us in, in a certain way. So th- the fact that Peter then takes this passage, mm-hmm. quotes it, almost verbatim, only applying it to the church and not ethnic Israel is incredible. Right. Peter's saying that this is now the church of Jesus Christ, the saints of God. You are that chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation. You belong to God. Um, and it's not just like, well, when you come to the gathering of the church on Sunday morning, then you are a royal priesthood. And then you go back out into your everyday life and you're just, you know, just getting by, mm-hmm. just distracted by worldly things. Like, no, everywhere you go now, you go in the presence of God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's in Christ. You are in the presence of God all the time. Everything you do is infused with this royal priest status. Yeah. Um, it, that that it just that infuses all of life with meaning and importance. And back to what you were saying earlier, Ryan. When God saves. He enables obedience to the covenant. Right. So it's that, that's that second part of the covenant structure yeah, yeah. you laid out. You have God laying out, here's who I am, here's what I've done. I've already done. The second part, here's the covenant demands, yep. which really in the end, demands maybe sounds harsh, but um, God enables us to obey. That's right. And it's not any different from the old covenant to the new covenant. Yep. As you brought out yesterday, in the new covenant too, it's not just, it's all grace, feel free to do what you want. No, we're called to hold fast. We're called to persevere. That's right. We're called to um, to love God and to love our neighbor. Um, yeah. And we're able to do that because God has changed our hearts. That's right. Um, so it's not this, here's a list of things now that you need to do so that you will be my people, um, so that I will make you this um, holy nation, this priesthood. No, I've enabled you to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the key differences between what's taking place here at this covenant um, establishment, if you will, which is again just a progression of further earlier covenants, like the one to Abraham and and to Noah, or to Noah, Abraham, and so on, um, and then finally here in the Mosaic national one. Well, they are not going to hold up their end of the bargain. Right. Like if you, if yeah. you read the rest of the Old Testament, you'll see very quickly they fail, they fail and they fail within a couple chapters. Um, but what's the difference? Well, Ezekiel thirty six makes clear the difference between this era of redemptive mm-hmm. history and our era because of the person and work of Christ and what he accomplished on the cross and in in rising from the dead, we now receive his spirit. And Mm -hmm. that spirit is the thing that, like you said, Mark, will, like he says in Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. There is a causation. We, we recognize we will not do these things. We will not obey this, these, this, um, and maintain this covenant on our own. We need an alien righteousness. We need an alien spirit to come in and work in us to produce yeah. these type of things. That's that's the gospel. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that that's helpful to clarify. I realize I should have been more clear on that new covenant improvement mm-hmm. uh, yesterday. I was reflecting on that to, to emphasize that is the difference. Old and new. Old was God expected obedience, and the people were unable to. The yeah. new covenant is. God makes us able to by regenerating hearts and putting yeah. spirit in us and causing and the, us to want to walk in his ways from right. the inside out. And the difference is 
Christ. He yeah. is the one that is a, because of what he accomplished, he, he fulfilled, he fulfilled obedience. It. And I think that probably the phrase that stuck out the most, honestly, from this text is as you, every time I read through it is where he says, uh, for all the earth mm-hmm. is mine, mm. all of it, all of it belongs to me, which, which is helpful because we could, we can think often, well, yeah, this is all true for us, but that's because we're Christians. Right. right. But yet I work in a world where I'm filled and surrounded by people who do not know Christ nor care. And yet they have an obligation to God yep. the, the, where Jesus says so, where God says here that all the earth is mine. He's making a universal yeah. claim. He, it belongs to him. And yet he has chosen this unique people to be his kingdom of priests and the set apart nation to represent him among all the pagan nations of the mm. ancient Near East. And now for us, it, it, you know, it's, it's translated to us in this new covenant. Now, our interactions with people actually matter mm-hmm. because as we herald, as we live Coram Deo in, in the face of God, as we live out our lives actually in this world amongst people who don't know them, mm-hmm. well, Romans 1 makes clear they do know him. They're just in rebellion against him yeah. because all the earth belongs to him. And so our gospel herald now says, I understand your suffering. I understand your whatever, whatever situation you find, an unbeliever might find himself in. And we now have a message that we can give for hope. Yeah. Turn to the one who owns it all, who has mm-hmm. not only doesn't just own it, but has acted to yeah. save you. Made provision yeah. for your sin. Exactly. Gave his son because he loves you. And he doesn't just own it. Colossians 1 says, um, it was made through him, yes, but it was made for him too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So everything in the world, whether it's politics or um, workplace or whatever it might be, it's all made for the purpose of glorifying Christ. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, we can live confidently that there's nothing that I'm going to engage in, you know, today or tomorrow or this week that isn't meant to be lived for the glory of Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I cited a couple of verses in Revelation that s- s- both sound very similar. They mentioned Jesus by his blood has made us a kingdom and priests to his God. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that Jesus is reigning and he must reign until he has brought all his enemies under his feet and the last enemy to be destroyed is death so the resurrection will be the end of it all but between now and the resurrection from the dead jesus is his dominion is going forth and it's Mm. going forth through the proclamation of the gospel so every time a sinner hears the gospel and repents and trusts in jesus Mm -hmm. the lordship of jesus is extending in people's hearts And, and so then when you think He's doing that in the world through us, through our witness. When we talk about Jesus, when we share the gospel with people, we are uh, proclaiming Jesus is king and he died for you. He's the, the resurrected ruler of the world. And if you trust in him, you can, uh, your sins are forgiven and yeah. you'll be raised to life with him. And so, he, you know, that, that I, th- I think is helpful in just thinking through in what sense are we a kingdom? In what sense do we enjoy a renewed royal status mm. you know jesus is the king and we have entered into his kingdom of light we've been saved out of the dominion of darkness and and we are now bearing witness to that kingdom yeah. mm. um in our our speech and in our lives it and, should look like something yeah it just does that framework which is so helpful because now that it actually like affects every aspect of my life even like things like parenting my goal for my kids is not just to get them to be quote unquote, be Christians, right? Mm-hmm. I, it's not just I'm fighting for their salvation, which I am, of course. And, and 
in raising them to know Jesus and to love Jesus. But it's also like the psalmist says, I'm set, I'm setting it. It's like setting the bow or setting the arrow in the bow and firing it into the world to see the kingdom of God extend, mm -hmm. to see Christ's rule and reign, which it's the way to extend. It's, it's the way for us to be covenantal and to be living in the face of God past our lifetimes mm -hmm. is through generational yeah. faithfulness and aren't haven't, you know, some people's stories are different, but for me, that that's my story. Mm. I am the product of generations of faithfulness. Um, and so now I, I, I do the same, which is it don't, it affects my parenting. It affects the way I, I work. It affects the way that I, I live. It affects the way I do everything mm. um, is this idea of we belong to God on this earth um, and, and which is his, all of it is his. Mm -hmm. And he is, he is putting all things on all, all of all authority already belongs to Jesus, but he is now putting all the enemies under his feet and, yeah. and that, and he's using the church through the proclamation of the gospel in order to do that. So it's not a top down political right. coercion, rather a, a humble proclamation of the gospel. And our mm -hmm. confidence is that he will keep his promises yeah. to us. Yeah. yeah. So good. That, that was, thanks that was for great text. That, yeah, yeah. My pleasure. I, I think, um, you want to just reflect on what what's the effect of that mm. text on me uh, along those lines? Just um, it, it's a reminder of who we are. We know in the new covenant because of Peter's application, this is our identity, the church of Jesus Christ. I, it deepens my love for the church, yes. um, heightens in my own understanding the, the priority of the church mm. in the plan of God and what he's doing on earth. It's dears placed on earth. I, I think it uh, strengthens my confidence, God is accomplishing that. That was one of the things, and I think this came out in the, the sermon, but I, because I was most affected by it, just studying it last week, th this is just an, an affirmation and an assurance to us that after Adam's fall, God didn't just scrap his plan like, well, mm. that's not going to happen and oh, yeah, that's down good. to plan B, but no, God is carrying this out. And then even after Israel's failure, um, God is he has accomplished this in Christ. And so now to live on this side of Christ and to be part of the church, uh, the body of Christ, where God is fulfilling this plan and purpose on earth together, his people in his place with his presence. That's right. um, and, and that is our hope in eternity. In, in, in heaven, we will experience that with a glory we can't even now mm -hmm. comprehend. But the fact that it's begun already, like we are already now enjoying access to yeah. God by his spirit, when we gather as the church and, and as we live our lives in this world, now we are that royal priesthood and mm. holy nation. Um, it, it just, it, it makes everyday life matter so much more. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. For sure. Yeah. Good stuff. Thank you guys. Mm. Thank you.